All right, church, would you please stand with me as you're able? We're going to be reading tonight from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, if you have a Bible and would like to follow along, turn to Luke 19. This familiar story to many of us. But even though it's familiar for me, when I think about a particular word that is a central theme in Scripture, this is the story I think about. And that word is the word grace. Uh, Grace is a central theme throughout Scripture. We see it from beginning to end in so many amazing and beautiful ways. But grace is often uh, misunderstood or misused or misapplied in many ways. And and in in many ways today, we, we... really talk about grace in such different ways um, and kind of elusive ways that we we misunderstand or we, we we don't understand how grace is actually at work in our life and so what we see here in this story again that is so familiar to many of us uh, are six particular movements of grace that are universal that everybody experiences Uh, There is true that God gives us special grace in different circumstances as he is guiding us and leading us, but there are also some things that are common to all of us. And that's what we see here in the story of Zacchaeus. So I want to ask two questions. One is, what does grace look like in particular? And then the second one, I won't spend as much time on, but I want to conclude with a question of, why do we need it? What is grace, what does it look like, and why do we need it? The opening verse that we see here in verse 1 is powerful to me, and it's the first movement of God's grace in our life. The story opens up, and it simply says, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And right there, we see the first movement of God's grace in our life. I mean, think about it. Who could motivate the God of the universe to walk into Jericho. Who could do that? Well, Zacchaeus did on this day. And Jesus is doing ministry in Jericho. We were looking at that Sunday, yes. But in this text, Zacchaeus is the focus. And do you see God's grace at work here? He entered Jericho 
and was passing through. Think about that. The God who created the world, the cosmos, everything that is good is walking in a city called Jericho. And I think if Zacchaeus was the only person there, Jesus still would have walked into that city. The first movement of God's grace in our life is that grace loves. Love is what brought Jesus to Jericho on this day. But love, again, is not just some feeling, right? It's not just a feeling God has for us. This love calls to action. Love moves toward us. Jesus is moving toward people in this way. And this is the grace of God in our lives. The grace of God. Jesus is walking into Jericho, and one of the primary reasons is because Zacchaeus is there. Our culture tells us today that, you know, uh, there are many roads that lead to God. People talk about this all the time, and there are different paths. I'll just be honest with you. One of my New Testament professors in seminary taught me this, that there are many paths that lead to God. They just look different, and the gods are named differently. It's called pluralism. And I just sat there in class, and I could not believe my ears, because I believe it is a lie. There are not many paths to God, but what we see in Scripture is that Jesus will walk down any road He can to get to us. That's exactly what we're seeing here on this day. This first movement of grace is Jesus walking into and walking through this city called Jericho. And again, this love is an action. It's an action. And that action is extended to us in God's movement toward us. And that's where grace begins. Grace begins in the heart of the Father who has love, active love for people, and He sends His Son. Just as in the Old Testament, He sent His Spirit at times, He sent the prophets at times, He gave the people the Word, the law, but now He's sending His Son, and what is motivating the heart of the Father is His love for us and is an act of grace toward us. And every movement of grace that we experience in our life starts with the love of the Father and the love of the Son and the love of the Holy Spirit for people. And so the first movement of God's grace in our life is just found in that word, love. Love is not God, but God is love. And when God is acting in our life, when He's walking into our life, and he, when He's passing through our city, and when He's passing through our church, when He's passing through our home, that is an act of grace. And then the second movement we see in the next couple of verses. Verse 2 goes on and says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. But notice verse 3, And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. That's the second movement of God's grace in our life. God's grace starts with his love toward us, his active love toward us, yes, but when, he, when we are experiencing God's active love toward us, the second movement of grace is that God begins to draw us in. When Jesus is walking through Jericho, the atmosphere of Jericho is changing. Something's different. We talked about it with the blind beggar 
on Sunday. But now something is different. People are starting to ask different sets of questions. People are all of a sudden, like Zacchaeus, he wants to see Jesus. Notice that. He doesn't want to just hear about Jesus. He doesn't want to just have a conversation about Jesus. No, he wants to see him for himself because God is drawing him in. You see, when God is drawing us, there is a desire to see God not just have a hypothetical conversation about God, not just have a theoretical conversation about God or what God could do or what are possibilities, but all of a sudden I want to see him. I want to behold him for myself. And that is what Zacchaeus is experiencing here. And when Jesus is passing through and his grace is being experienced in our lives, all of a sudden we want to see God even if God reveals himself as something different than our current ideas about him, our current notions about who he is. Zacchaeus is not trying to define Jesus on his own terms. He wants to see him for himself. And all of a sudden, when God's grace is at work in our life, and we are starting to experience the love of God that melts our hearts of stone, all of a sudden we begin to think, maybe, just maybe, my current assumptions about who God is may be misguided. Or maybe I rushed some of my thoughts about who God is. Or maybe I've been misinformed about who God is. But all of a sudden, our current perception starts to be distorted. And we say, you know, I have to see for myself. In the story you see in verse 4, Zacchaeus wants to see who Jesus is. So much so that he does that really odd thing in the first century and he takes off running. Then not only does he run, we know what he does. He climbs the sycamore tree, right? He takes off running because Jesus is about to pass by. He climbs up a tree because he simply has to see who this Jesus is for himself. That is God's grace drawing us in. Drawing us in. It's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit changing all of a sudden the atmosphere, melting our heart, and we're thinking there may be more and I need to see. That's exactly where Zacchaeus is. And we have to ask ourselves the question, when was the last time God's love was stirring our hearts and stirring our minds so much that we were willing to inconvenience ourselves, if not embarrass ourselves, in order to see Him? Zacchaeus it's very inconvenient, this crowd, <laughs> right? It seems like the text is telling us he was vertically challenged. Very inconvenient. He didn't care. He ran anyway. Not only that, he climbs a tree? A rich man? How embarrassing. He didn't care. You see, whenever God's grace is at work in our life and we're experiencing the love of God and He begins to draw us, 
that desire and hunger to see him for who he is outweighs all those other things that we normally let get in the way. And then we see the next movement, and I want to spend a little time here. The text says in verse 5, and when Jesus came to that place, Zacchaeus up in the tree, he looked up to him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus sees that he's gone to the point of climbing up a tree. I don't know if he saw him running or not. He probably did. He happens to be Jesus. He knows those kind of things, right? But he sees him up in the tree. He looks up at him and he says, Zacchaeus, very important word, hurry, very important word, come down, very important phrase, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus here is saying, I think you're going to let me into your most intimate and personal space that you have. I think you're going to let me into, Zacchaeus, the most personal real estate that you own. Because that's really where Jesus likes to go, right? He doesn't like to stay outside. Remember, he's the one who comes on and knocks at the door. Says, anyone who will let me in, I will eat with him, right? What's going on in this verse, though, is he says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry. And yeah, the word hurry, it, it means... What do you think it means to urge someone to, want to do something quickly? But Jesus is cheering Zacchaeus on. Do you see this? Whenever I read this, I hear him cheering Zacchaeus on saying, yes, you can do this. Hurry, come down. Make this decision quickly. But then he says, come down. Very interesting phrase because it means to make oneself low, not just physically, but hurry and come down. To put it in a spiritual word or another word and apply it spiritually, it's the word humble yourself. Hurry, Zacchaeus. Humble yourself before me, Jesus is saying. You see, we only truly humble ourselves when conviction is at play. The first movement of God's grace in our life is God's love toward us. And whenever we're experiencing God's love toward us, He begins to draw us in to who He is. We want to see Him. And the closer we get to God, the more we feel this thing called conviction. But the, the word conviction's got a really bad rap today. So, you know, a good question to ask is, what exactly is that? Here's how I define it. Conviction is the beautiful sorrow we experience when we become aware of the love and goodness of God calling us to become someone different. Let me say it again. Conviction is the beautiful sorrow we experience when we become aware of the love and goodness of God calling us to become someone different. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You see, through conviction, God has three desires for us. The desires are that we would be innocent, pure, and holy. Innocent, pure, and holy. Innocent, pure, holy. You got those? 
innocent, pure, and holy. That we would be innocent of the wrongdoing that we have done, our sins. That we would be pure. We would be purified from how other people's sins have affected our life. And then we would be holy. That we would be set apart, not just from the world, but for the world, right? Holiness is not about coming out of the world, it's about being a different agent within it. Innocent, pure, and holy. When God is allowing us to experience conviction because we're in close proximity to Him, this is God's heart and desire for us. He wants us to be innocent, even though we're not. He wants us to be pure, even though other people's sin has affected us, and He wants us to be holy. He wants us to live this set-apart life for Him. And this is why we have to understand there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation points out what you have done wrong, both your sins of commission and your sins of omission. Sins of commission are sins you commit. Sins of omission are the good things that you fail to do. Both are sin. That's why James says, if any man knows the good he ought to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So both sins of commission and omission, condemnation just says, you did wrong. But conviction points out who God is calling you to be. Conviction points out who God is sent his son to die for you to be. Condemnation says you did something bad. Conviction says you can become someone different. Condemnation declares you guilty. Conviction declares who you can be when God is in your life. And notice in verse 5, notice how Jesus begins in calling Zacchaeus down. He comes to the tree. Zacchaeus has already climbed up. He looks at him and he says, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. You do know this story is in the Bible for a reason. Matter of fact, John said in John 21, 25, Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. But this story is here. And one of the reasons why I think it's here is because because uh, God wants us to know Zacchaeus. You see, when God is at work in our life and his, we're experiencing his love, he's drawing us in and conviction is taking place. He wants three things for us. Remember what they are? He wants us to be innocent, pure, and holy. Guess what the name Zacchaeus means? Innocent, pure, and Holy. When Jesus stops in front of the crowd and he calls out Zacchaeus' name, the people know what that name means. What's Zacchaeus' profession? <laughs> when Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus, everybody's going, whew, his mother got that wrong. <laughs> but Jesus is calling him out in public. Because he's doing a work of grace in his life. Jesus is calling out Zacchaeus to live into his namesake. And he does the same for me and you spiritually. You see, when you encounter an all-knowing God who knows the good, bad, and ugly about your life, it can be a scary moment. But we have to remember that God is not here to condemn you and... God does not simply want to tolerate you. I actually don't like the word tolerate, and 
You've probably heard me say that on multiple occasions. I can tolerate you from a distance, but if I'm going to love you, I have to get close to you. And God loves you. And Jesus loves Zacchaeus, and he's getting close to him on this day, and he's calling out in him who he can be. You see, conviction is about, not just about saying don't do this. Conviction is about saying don't do so that. Don't so that. Don't do that. So that you can live differently. Conviction is what helps us live into Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Who's he writing to? Christians? Yes. There are things that hinder us. There is sin that entangles us. Throw those things off so that we can run the race with perseverance that's been marked out for us. See, conviction is less about what you're doing wrong, although it involves that, but it's more about who you can become. Conviction is about a change of identity that affects your actions. Conviction is not about behavioral modification. It's about heart transformation. Conviction is about living differently, yes, and therefore doing differently, yes. But it starts with the love of God coming toward us, drawing us to Himself. And then conviction is God calling out in us who He sent His Son to die for us to be. The fourth movement of grace. God loves, God draws, God convicts, God saves. And here I'm talking about the word justification. Verse 6, Zacchaeus responds to Jesus. He responds to this summons, to Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, because I want to stay at your house today. And verse 6 says, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. What an amazing verse. If you don't know what, what does it mean to come into a relationship with God is to hurry and humble yourself and before Him receive Him joyfully. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus did. He humbled himself. He received Him. That word received, it means embraced Him. But it's not just a physical hug. Something much deeper is happening here. He truly embraced Jesus in this moment. We know that because of what follows. He embraced him, and then he did so joyfully. You see, God's justifying grace in our life always involves joy. Salvation always involves joy. Because something has changed on the inside. Zacchaeus has heard this, of this Jesus, and now he's heard this Jesus call out to him in public and use his name which means something totally different from the way he has lived his life. But now this Jesus who's calling out his name wants to embrace him and come to his house. God's grace in our life, it begins with God's love toward us. It draws us to him. The closer we get to him, conviction is there. But they, the question is, are we going to embrace him or not? Are we going to embrace him or not? But it doesn't stop because notice what happens next. Verse 7, it says, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. There's always some in the crowd. They all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
who, a man who is a sinner. Notice that the crowd is talking about his past. Now, it's immediate past. He's just embraced Jesus. But they're technically talking about the old Zacchaeus. Before he came down out of the tree and before he embraced Jesus. God's grace starts with love toward us. It draws us in. The closer we get, there is conviction. But we embrace him and there is salvation. And then God's grace assures us. It's called assurance. I think this verse is in this story, even though there's no real reply to it other than Zacchaeus' actions is meant to be the reply. There's no verbal reply to it. I think this, story, uh, this verse is in there, though, because we need assurance when the enemy uses people, especially people from the past, to tell us who we were and not who we are now. But assurance is God's grace saying to you and to me, you are not now who you were then. That's how God assures us and gives us assurance in the moment. It's those moments when someone brings up or your mind brings up your past before Christ. It's those moments when God's Spirit reminds you, but you're not that person anymore. That's not who you are anymore. You don't think that way anymore. You don't do those things anymore. That's not your identity anymore. And God's grace starts with that love and drawing and conviction and saving, but it moves into that place in our lives where it is assuring us, reminding us of who we are in Him. That's why I pray a whole lot of my sermons is, is really not new information for you but confirmation of who you are in Christ. Because those are the moments when we are reassured who it is that we stand on and who fights for us. Those are moments of assurance. But it doesn't stop. The last movement is that God's grace matures us. It matures us. God's grace loves, draws, convicts, saves, assures, and matures us. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Right there's the maturity shift in Zacchaeus' life. Notice the text said he was rich, which is an indication to us that this mattered to him. His identity was wrapped up in what he had. But now we see him as a result of God's grace in his life, giving things away and then also repaying fourfold. And there's the maturity shift. Selfishness to selflessness. What I get to what I give. And then Jesus makes that pronounced pronouncement today salvation has come to this house a total work of grace and then Jesus says this is what I came to do guys to seek and to save the lost that's Jesus' way of saying to us who read the text and to those who were there on that day you saw what just happened this is what it looks like so what is God's grace? What does it look like? It looks like love. 
toward us. It looks like being drawn so that we may see him for ourselves. It looks like conviction because the closer unholy gets to holy, that's exactly what happens. It looks like an embrace of salvation. It looks like assurance and it looks like maturity. Why do we need it? Why do we need it? Thomas Akempis said this, Be more patient and prepare yourself for greater endurance. All is not lost, even though you are often afflicted or grievously tempted. You are a human being, not God. You are flesh, not an angel. How can you expect to always continue in the same state of virtue when an angel in heaven fell, as did the first people in paradise? I am he who strengthens with comfort those who mourn and raise up to divine glory those who know their own weakness, end quote. Why do we need grace? He says, you are a human being, not God. And you are flesh, not an angel. And he ends with, you need it because you're weak. If you think about it, think with me for a second. If you think about it, because unholiness cannot exist in heaven, that means grace can only be given on earth. Unholiness cannot exist in heaven, so therefore there's no need for grace. Unholiness cannot exist in heaven. The only place that grace can be given and received is on earth. And what that means, uh, brothers and sisters, is that you are a prime recipient of and perfect candidate for grace. And earth is the ground in which God walks on so that He can give it. The question is, have we received it? Have we received it? Where are we are, where are we in those movements of it? Or is it just a distant love? Are we being drawn in? Is there conviction? Have we embraced Him? Are we receiving assurance? Are we maturing? All a work of grace. And wherever you are on that journey, I pray you take the next step. Amen? Father, we thank you for your grace. It truly is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And Lord, as we sit here tonight, we all declare we are human beings, not you. We are flesh, not angels. And we are weak. And so, Lord, we need your grace every moment of every day. We need your grace to breathe the very air we're breathing right now. So, Lord, may we receive it because you give it so freely. May we hear you call out, innocent, pure and holy. And may we know that is your desire for us and nothing else. We love you. We love you. And we thank you for loving us. Pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said,